0: It's a real pleasure to have you here for, uh, for this lunchtime event um, on the view from European Capitals. I'm Jill Rusher, I'm Programme Director for Brexit here at the Institute. Um, too often Brexit seems to be a rather preoccupying British discussion. So we thought that in the run-up to the European Council, which may or may not be critical, depending on quite how good that dinner was last night, um, it would be really useful for people here to get an appreciation from the view from other really important European capitals of actually how might they be seeing not just what might happen in two days' time, but how the next uh, next months and years might unfold. And I think also interestingly, just how important is Brexit in their current political debates? I was uh, I was looking at various of the front pages of the newspapers and outlets for which our panel are responsible yesterday. And what was very significant to me was there was an awful lot about Catalonia, there was a lot about the Wunderwutzi in uh, Austria, but no mention of Brexit. <laughs> uh, so Pablo did file something about Therese May's attempt to unblock the negotiations, but he didn't quite make it to the front page, given so much is going on in Spain at the moment. So just to introduce our panel, uh, from my far right, we have Jacqueline Miner. Jacqueline was head of the U- uh, UK representation with the European Commission but I should stress she was head of that and is speaking here very much in a personal capacity. So, uh, so she will give us some insights into the Commission view, which is definitively not speaking for the Commission. Pablo Jimon is the correspondent for El País, as uh, you will know, leading Spanish newspaper. Pablo has been in the UK for three years. Joining us and uh, hot off the Eurostar from Brussels is Christine, Paris, Paris. Christine O'Connor from France Culture and Christine is a leading uh, (coughs) broadcaster-journalist-doyenne of the art. Uh, And finally on my far left is Stephanie Boltson. Stephanie is UK correspondent of Die Welt, uh, which for those of you who don't know is a leading German newspaper. So we have some of the representation from major things. Where we're going to do this is no (laughs) formal presentations, I'm going to start off with one or two questions to our panel. We'll then go to you for your questions and make it a very interactive discussion. And uh, an aim to finish. This is huge amounts of energy in the room uh, by one forty-five, so you can all get back to preparing for what's going to go on for the rest of the week. So I'm just going to start off with uh, with the perceptions all of you have on uh, on the council. Uh, we heard that the UK. Was very hopeful that by appealing around the commission or over the head of the commission, that uh, that actually this was the way to unblock progress. That this sort of battery of phone calls to Monsieur Macron, uh, Frau Merkel, and whatever was going to unlock things, and that actually it was the commission that was blockage. But if only we could talk to the member states, it would all come out very easily. So I just wondered. How that felt, because that doesn't seem to have been perhaps the best judgment of strategy. Stephanie, do you want uh, to kick off? Um, what's the German perspective on the charm offensive that has been launched in the last uh, last few days to try and move things on?
1: Not very impressed, I think, so far. Um, the, uh, I think the, the um, <coughs> kind of conclusion or the statement last night after the dinner was, we should accelerate negotiations, whatever that means. because. Uh, well how can you accelerate if you can't agree so my impression is head of the council and (coughs) the big question is whether this continues after this council what is accelerating are kind of two trains uh, driving uh, in uh, in directions they shouldn't and um, there's a kind of car crash that is uh, on the horizon well hopefully not but um, talking to people in Berlin there is of course it's as everybody expected it's down to the money now and um, There's uh, a certain (laughs) robustness in both positions, I think. You find a lot of robust wordings here and almost kind of, yeah, Mm. stroppiness about why are they not listening Mm. and why do they not want to agree. And the same you find increasingly in in Berlin. So uh, that very last and very thin sentence of these conclusions Mm. about informal preparation Mm. talks is even thinner than it could have been. So that was because of German and as
0: far as I know French influence. So Christine, uh, Monsieur Macron was, or the French government was allegedly behind the original strengthening of some of the demands on money. Uh, Mrs May called Monsieur Macron, we are told on Sunday, we don't know what that is. So are the French absolutely aligned with the Germans, that it's all about the money at this stage or what more is needed to deem there to be sufficient progress and move on to stage two? So after all, the British government's keen to to do?
2: I think from a, <clears throat> from a Paris perspective, it's about having any idea of what uh, a coherent British strategy might be. And so, uh, frankly, the fact that uh, your Prime Minister called Monsieur Macron, I don't think it makes any difference. The idea of trying to play uh, bilaterals. Uh, to try and skirt around the Commission. Uh, I mean, it's an old game uh, within the EU, of course, that each member state plays at one stage or the other. But uh, (coughs) unfortunately, uh, and I think it's true also in in Berlin, we have a a long memory of of Great Britain with uh, usually more talent, I'm sorry to say, uh, plays double tricks. you know, trying to do this and then doing the reverse. So I don't think it it works at all. And another dimension uh, which I think is totally um, absent from the perception here is that uh, the French uh, Élysée is is not at all that much interested in the extricacies of the Tory Party, and uh, in spite of the rather picturesque mm. characters uh, around, uh, I think there is uh, more seriously uh, an underestimation of the Prime Minister's difficulties in in handling her own government uh, and and beyond that her own majority, and so. Whatever is taken here as a, as a step mm-hmm. forward uh, is, is really not uh, considered that way at all, uh, on the other side of the channel. So w-
0: Was France not very impressed with Flore- the Florence speech? Prime Minister went there well, to a lot of British journalists and the cabinet in Florence, but... Uh, nice speech, but then
2: if, if speeches uh, were policies, France would have been
0: reformed decades <laughs> ago. <laughs> Okay. Wise words, perhaps your president as well. Pablo, um, is there any <coughs> bandwidth in Spain to bother about this? I mean, you obviously have rather preoccupying uh, events in Catalonia Catalonia, and stuff like that. So, quite, is your government paying any attention to this or what is going on there?
3: Yeah, I, w- I mean, I will say it's not obviously number one priority now and not for the last weeks, not, not since the first speech. But, but I mean it, it is a, a very, a very um, I mean the, the it's no secret that the relationship between Spain and, and the UK is very, very special, no? not, not, not only in the most obvious ways like the <laughs> um, almost probably a million Britons yeah. living part of the year at least in, in Spain or the m- probably 300,000 Spaniards living here but also the uh, I mean one in, in every four tourists that go to Spain are British, yeah. the Britain is the first the first uh, direct investment market, I think, from, in, in from Spain. No? So, mm-hmm. so there's a lot at stake and, 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 and yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, I think that's, that Spain uh, represents a, a thing that we can see now in the, in the EU, that um, Spain is very interested in a soft Brexit. Uh, they, they don't want to press, too, they would not want to press too much. They would not like to, to, to go too far and to risk uh, no deal. But they mm-hmm. stick to the consensus, which I think is, is one of the, the shocking things we've mm-hmm. seen in the EU these these days. No, that that m- many people might might have a special uh, interest in the, in the negotiations, many many countries, but but they all stick to the consensus, mm-hmm. which is quite mm-hmm. quite. So that's yeah. why, also I, uh, going back to your your yeah. earlier question, I don't think uh, that has uh, that has worked, and probably it, it will work to to mm-hmm. to try the bilateral way and to try to address leaders and. and and not the Commission.
0: So, how will uh, Jacqueline, how will this attempt to sort of, as people on this side were saying, skirt round the process that the 27 had agreed and endorsed, you know, how will that have played out in the Commission? It was slightly emerging as some of our better friends in this, perhaps. Yeah.
4: Well, not well, I think. Um, there is a process um, which was made clear at the outset of negotiations and the Commission will expect uh, the UK to honour that process, to which it has agreed. Mm. Um, I think the Florence speech was well-received in Brussels. It was constructive in its tone and its tenor. But um, as my grandmother might have put it, uh, fine words better no parsnips. Mm. Um, and I think there will have been an expectation that the speech will have been followed by a more detailed uh, commitment Mm. uh, in terms of both the citizens Mm. and the money issues. And clearly that didn't happen in the the negotiating round that uh, has has since taken place. And that will have been a disappointment. Nevertheless, I think the Commission clearly wants the process to succeed. Uh, Barnier has said time and time again that he is uh, looking to achieve a deal And he will want, I think, also to prepare, as he he and his team have clearly prepared for this first phase, for the next phases of negotiation. And you need to prepare ahead of beginning the negotiation on the scope of the future relationship and of transition. But um, I think the problem with talking about transition is, again, as Barnier has said, you need to know what one is transitioning to and the UK has not yet been very clear about what it wants from the future relationship, apart from it being deep and special and inventive and imaginative. Yeah.
0: Okay. So in terms of the transition, I mean, is that the perception in, in Berlin and Paris as well, that you can't really have a serious discussion on transition, as the Prime Minister likes to call it, implementation phase, until at the very least, you've got the principles of the future end state relationship Agreed. So rather than just have a, I think Pascal Lamy here said <coughs> a sort of continuity clause that would give you the sort of breathing space to sort these things out. And how how far does stage two have to go before a transition can be agreed? Do you think? Do you have a well, view?
1: To have a transition again, as colleague just said, you have to know where where is the transition going to, and uh, the current <coughs> the current impression in Berlin is that no one knows obviously here or the government doesn't know what it wants. Mm. It is constantly looking at domestic issues Mm. and mainly at the issues and interests and infighting in the Mm. Tory party and that they try to, as someone put it, they try to cover their lack of orientation by getting very robust. Um, (coughs) And that's Mm. something that obviously, um, if you look at the agenda of the European Council, Mm. Brexit is one of the very last things, so that tells you that there is, a, a, a lack of time and a lack of interest and that is only only harming the UK's interest and also the, the, the fact that the lack of orientation has a very 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 severe consequence which is losing time. So the clock is ticking <coughs> and the more squabbling about what it could be and actually kind of the expectation that actually the other side has to deliver the
0: solution this is only a mm. waste of time in this, uh, s- uh, seeing it from the continent. So Pablo said that Spain, <coughs> ultimately, was in the soft Brexit camp. Um, where would Germany be? Does Germany have a view on a yeah, preferred op- well Brexit? Obviously, they are interested in the best
1: deal for themselves as well, yeah. which would be a soft Brexit. Oh, There's no question.
0: Okay, Christine, how is it? How's transition and the sort of Brexit playing out in p- playing out in France? Well,
2: I, I think again, I fully
0: subscribe
2: <coughs> to what has been said by our German friend. It's like wanting to build a house when you getting a divorce and, and you don't even agree on the terms of the divorce. So uh, it's not, uh, I mean, this this attempt to always find the right adjective, you know, should it be soft, medium, whatever, uh, I think we, we all agree that uh, it would be nice and smooth and very positive uh, <coughs> for uh, Europe as a whole that indeed, this crazy process uh, comes to terms Mm -hmm. in the most positive Mm -hmm. way for all parties concerned. But again, uh, I'm afraid it's a British issue and a a British quagmire uh, rather than a continental one. And uh, so, of course, let's have a soft Mm. Brexit. But uh, (laughs) let's first try and find out uh, what, this government and this Parliament mm. uh, are set to do
0: so one of the UK's perceptions quite usually Pablo mentioned the sort of you know 1 million British people who live in Spain um, <coughs> businesses who depend on amicable relations and one of the sort of the British hopes has been that over time you know business will come in to pressure governments uh, over in the continent to say, well, actually, we need to get on. We, we want certainty, too. It's not just the CBI and the institute of directors in the UK who want to know where we're going, actually, to put a bit of pressure on it. And we saw the, I think, joint démarche with the uh, Deutschen Arbeitgeber we, a few weeks ago saying, let's move to trade talks um, together with, the, the, I think, the CBI. Oh, no, the, with the British of Commerce. Is there any manifestation of domestic pressure that, you know, we're just all spending ages sort of dancing around on heads about this and that and talking about <coughs> money and stuff like that and actually what really matters is getting into that or is is that just not materialising at all yet?
2: Oh, we're very much hoping more uh, British banks, uh, more British companies, uh, more foreign residents uh, here in London mm. uh, move to France. <laughs> uh, not to mention the three European mm-hmm. agencies uh, that are established here in London. So. Whenever there is such a move, uh, whenever uh, Jamie Dimon of JP Morgan says, oh, we, we're going to reinforce uh, our French uh, establishment, you know, we rejoice, of course. I mean, uh, it's good for France. Yeah. And uh, it's it's one, I think, of, of the, 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 <coughs> the differences in timing that, of course, we journalists we're always, you know, very short term. But it seems that this government is so long term that it doesn't accommodate for medium term interests of, of of business. Hmm. And uh, of course, each country, and I guess yeah. Germany, Spain, I mean, we're all trying to get, you know, the best hmm. bits and pieces um, and take advantage of indeed uh, the serious uh, worries. Of, of business, mm-hmm. the fact that EasyJet would go to Vienna, the fact that Lloyd's uh, would move out of London—I mean, that, that was just extraordinary. Uh, and so, of course, uh, we're all uh, competing mm-hmm. uh, and offering <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I <laughs> the best yeah. conditions.
1: The other way round, of course, there are massive German interests in having a good deal, and there mm-hmm. are, as you yeah. say, oh, a have good deal, calls. of course. Yeah, but there sense have sense been France. calls to yeah. move, to move, to move quicker. Yeah. But um, there have been. The (laughs) minority the big majority is saying basically the call goes directly to the British government saying get your act together basically pay up get the first part the three issues as far as you can sort it and then I'm sure there will be a growing pressure or lobbying by the German industry on the German government to get a good deal a very Mm -hmm. very soft Mm -hmm. deal too because I think it's something like (coughs) <coughs> 800,000 jobs on both sides mm. that depend mm. indirectly on, on British-German trade relations. So there is a massive interest there, but first of all, you have to solve the situation there, and then you can't, can start looking at what you can get out of it.
0: Pablo, do you think that you know, the interest in Spain, which is clearly mm. uh, quite sort of distinctive as you were setting out, do you think they're likely to increase uh, if we look as though we're moving into early to mid-2018 without much prospect of getting to a, to a good solution?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, and, uh, there are many. Uh, no, it's not only the, the businesses in, in, in this case, which which is very important. We have a very important um, Spanish um, companies operating here, but but also the pressure from the from the citizens, yeah. not from the from the Spanish citizens living here and all, and, and the other way around. I uh, th- there was uh, there were some papers leaked by the, the by the Spanish government from from the Spanish government preparing on, on deals. On, on bil- bilateral deals and everything, but, sa- but as, I, as I said before, I think there's a huge discipline and, and, and a huge uh, effort and, and, and knowledge that, that only being united and being one only voice in Europe, this will succeed.
0: Mm. So Jacqueline, we saw that the sort of you know the council conclusions as uh, potentially slightly sort of watered down, with the commission sort of seeking a bit of a mandate. To go to phase two to start the preparatory work. How long does that actually require before the whole process of getting a mandate for phase two? Even if they had the sort of you know, blue touch pi- paper lit on, uh, on Friday, how quickly could they actually get that act together to be ready to talk to? You?
4: Well, I think, as, as I said before, part of the problem is not knowing what the UK is actually asking for. Um, if the UK is asking for a bespoke deal, Mm. which apparently it is, it takes longer than say an Mm. off-the-shelf status which is already there, something Mm. like the EA plus or minus or Mm. squared. um, Or (coughs) um, CETA. Mm. Uh, I know that the British government Continually emphasises that they are starting from a very good place mm. in this negotiation because they're starting from a position of absolute alignment. Um, but surely part of the rationale of Brexit is that that complete alignment will dissipate over time. Otherwise, what is the point? And therefore you have to put into place mechanisms to deal with um, the change in the UK status and the potential change in in UK regulation. And I think it's those mechanisms um, in the light of a trading partner who is so close geographically, so important economically, uh, which will have to be quite innovative. I don't think you can simply say, well, we can transpose the South Korean deal, (coughs) we can transpose CETA. Because geographically, economically, culturally, it's an entirely different situation.
0: So Politico t- this morning reported that the UK was looking for a Switzerland-style deal. Do you think that's, uh, that's on the cards? No. Okay. Um, that, that's a personal view. <laughs> um, I,
4: I think you know, Switzerland would not be offered a Switzerland-style deal if it were um, to start the process all over again. It has a lot of drawbacks, the Swiss-style deal, the domino effect, mm. so that if you um, breach one part of the agreement or the other... Uh, parts of the agreement are theoretically also rendered non-applicable. It is very cumbersome in um, procedural terms because uh, there's no automatic adaptation to changes within (coughs) the EU, so everything has to be reopened and negotiated again. Um, And even the UK, well before the referendum signed up, I think, to some council conclusions which invited the Commission to look again at the way the Swiss deal was working because all 28
0: member states at that point were dissatisfied with the way it worked. Okay, that was then, this is now. Let's go to questions uh, from the audience. I think we've got some mics, so I'm going to take them in batches, <coughs> so we will go right to the back. If anyone is in the Overspill room and wants to ask a question, they'll need to just put their head around the door, <laughs> so to right to the back.
5: It's a question for Pablo. Um, Pablo, my name is Ray Taylor from PwC. Um, do you think Spain will use this negotiation, particularly the negotiation on future arrangements, uh, as leverage to try and uh, get some solution on the Gibraltar question?
0: Okay. Well, that's a very bespoke question. Since bespoke is now the word, and uh, with a very bespoke respondent, so. We're all sites, you know. F- were we taken aback when we? we noticed Gibraltar's mention in the guidelines? The sort of Spanish influence. So, is it a stumbling block down the line?
3: I, I really don't think so. I, I, um, so, um, the Gibraltar issue—it's not going to be a problem in the, in the negotiation because the, the, um, what, what the paper says is uh, after the withdrawal, the withdrawal um, agreement. No? So. so any mention after the, the of in the future relationship, any mention of Gibraltar should be agreed by, by, by Spain. I don't think it's going to be a, I mean, uh, it's I don't think it's a priority. It, it, it was like a, a kind of victory, uh, interpreted like a kind of diplomatic victory for Spain in, in that sense, and, and, and it was surprising that all that there was, so, so unanimously backed, and, and I think that's it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's going to be. It's going to be uh, unless unless there's there's some um, I don't know any particular issue that, that that could change dramatically the status quo or or just um, I don't know. To, to I don't think there's a political um, will of, of of creating a huge problem where, where where there is not such a huge problem now. No?
0: I think that's the first bit of good news we've had on the negotiations today. I don't so know what I mean. <laughs> so let's go just in front, yeah, and then we will take them in a three, so we'll come over there, yeah.
5: You're, you're all quite glum. I just want to take you back to Jill's opening statement about the British tactics or strategy of divide and rule and refer you back to the title of European Capitals. Do any of your colleagues here representing other newspapers or in Paris and other capitals give different views of different governments. I'm thinking of Poland, Italy, and smaller countries, uh, vis-a-vis Brexit.
0: (coughs) Okay, let's go down here.
5: Uh, Thank you, my name's Simon Sapper. I'm from the Makes You Think Consultancy. Simple question, to what extent do the panel believe that a no-exit Brexit is likely?
0: Okay, and let's just go over there quickly, yep.
6: Thank you. Tamsin Cooper, Green Alliance. Um, To what extent does the panel think that members say governments will be supportive of an environmental red red line being part of a condition of a future deal?
0: Okay, that's a sort of variety of questions. So, so have we just got the wrong countries here, and we getting a sort of <laughs> false perspective? <laughs> we did pick quite big ones um, because obviously QMV matters on the final deal. So I think b- between you, you must have quite a lot of votes in in the council. But is there a if we you know got Poles, Hungarians, uh, Maltese, Italians, would we be getting a very different perspective? Do you get that sense? Yeah, we are reflecting
1: on the same question before yeah. because we probably should have someone from Poland here as well. And, and I would be yeah. very intrigued to know what they actually did, the eight foreign ministers yeah. with Boris Johnson this uh, weekend, yeah. and why those eight <coughs> foreign ministers. Yeah. And you can already now see splits about yeah. the Danes and the Dutch who want to move forward onto trade talks, yeah. and different, um, different interests, of course. Um, I, I do think, though, that on the, on the first phase, they are united, and the, this unity yeah. is <laughs> not breaking apart. I don't think so, yeah. because in the end, they all want the money. So why would they give Not in here? But um, so
0: it's 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 for the UK to move on this point. Does anyone disagree with this point that there would be a slight? Because I think it, it is interesting. If the, we saw that sort of moment that the Danish finance minister slightly said, "Can't we just get on with this?" And we had the same experience in event I was talking about at the Conservative Party conference. The Swedish ambassador came in when I was talking about the integrity of the 27. He said, "No, we want a deal. We want a deal," which I thought was quite interesting. Um, but I just wonder whether there were sort of signs <laughs> of people peeling off a bit and...
4: I think everyone wants a deal. That's, that's undoubtedly the case. There's nobody hanging out for a hard Brexit. Um, but I think the unity of the 27 has been striking and it's easy to be unified around the first three points. And mm. therefore, in a way, it's harder to, for, for there to be continuing unity as you move on, Mm. Um, but so far it's held. And I think um, there will be differences of emphasis, probably when they come to talk about the nature of the future relationship. Um, But uh, I still think that everybody, it's in everybody's interest to get a deal, both about the withdrawal and uh, the future relationship. This is lose-lose for everybody, in any event. The question is mitigating those losses. And the, the best way to do that is by getting an agreed outcome.
0: So when we hear Michel Barnier talk, going to Tamsin's question, when we hear Michel Barnier talks, he clearly puts a lot of emphasis on the dangers you mentioned it, Jacqueline a bit about having this big country next to you, maybe not playing by the same rules. So how much is actually the UK continuing... To observe whether it's the letter of the sort of uh, you know, whole IKEA on things like the environment, how much is that going to be a demand from Europe? Well, I think Europe, that's, do you that's think? written
4: into the original mandate. If you look at the original mandate, uh, when it talks about the future relationship, it says uh, subject to uh, the United Kingdom respecting environmental competition. Uh, there's a whole range of descriptors. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that is embedded there. They, the, the 27, understandably, would not want to have Singapore on steroids sitting off its northwestern coast.
0: But I mean, that doesn't feature in CETA really at all. CETA has some quite sort of uh, feeble provisions th- about respecting whatever. Yeah. Bonnie has offered the choice of CETA. He said you can go for CETA if you want. You can go for EEA if you want. Slightly so uh, stressed. There's nothing in between. But anyway, but um,
4: he may have said that. I mean, it'd be interesting to see where the, where the negotiations mm. get to subsequently. Um, the extent to yeah. which, in addition to the strict trade mm. uh, ag- arrangements within any deal, there will be an insistence upon flanking measures mm. is I think one of the big issues that has yet really to be
0: resolved. Okay, so n- no deal. If you were talking Berlin, Paris, Madrid, where do they think the chances of No Deal are now sitting, Pablo?
3: Well, I mean, p- yeah, I don't know exactly the, the, the <laughs> position in Madrid, but my own position yeah. is that, that 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 it can. I mean, it can happen, yeah. and and, and at some kind of No Deal. No? <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, probably. Uh, I mean, it's not going anywhere, no, and and, and it's not, and, and the, the clock is ticking, <laughs> and, and and it's really difficult. There are some issues that are uh, really, really difficult to solve, and in one year, it's nothing, and and. And I don't know. I mean, I mean, w- what happens in? Uh, uh, let's see what happens in the, l- the next couple of weeks. But it, if it doesn't advance, I, I see that the UK will, will say, okay, we that's what so we're going to. do. what
0: does Spain make of the sort of you know stumbling blocks in the withdrawal agreement? So, the money, where Spain isn't one of the biggest net contributors, it's also not one of the biggest mm. recipients. Now we've got the A8 and things like that. And on citizens' rights, I mean is it really going to go down to the wire on. ECJ, ECJ, ECJ. Which seems to be the yeah, biggest. Yeah, I mean,
3: um, I, I think that that the red lines, let's say, of, of Spain would be the same as as, uh, as the rest. I, I think ECJ, but for the for the citizens, the ECJ would, in a way, w- would be a, a red line, and and the, I mean, the um, the money issue in, in the Florence speech, it was just um, um, the the um, the budget. Um, the, the budget um, commitments no so so yeah. it's probably not not <laughs> it has to go a little bit further no i mean they, they could be uh, easier on uh, i mean uh, they, they will understand that ireland is not something that you can solve uh, in the in the preliminary phase that i think everybody will will agree but but the other two the other two issues the money and the and the citizens yeah.
0: so what about berlin and paris where are you on no deal but
1: in Berlin, uh, thinking goes that there is enough common sense to not risk a no deal scenario. And that that if it comes to Brussels, in the end they always find a deal somehow at every summit and if they have to spend two or three nights with sandwiches in the council. But um, there's more worry if if the no deal is unilateral from here Mm. because of pressure in the Tory party. Mm. That's that's
0: another scenario for no deal, I guess. So we think that the person who would sort of avoid the No Deal at the end of the day uh, would be Frau Merkel. That she would be the person who would ride to the rescue and sort all these people out because she is, you know, after all, the queen of pragmatism and common sense. Um, Is she powerful enough to do that? Is she interested enough
1: in doing that? Obviously, that depends again on on what kind of coalition we will see being formed in in Germany, but whatever coalition it is, and it's very likely to be a coalition with the Greens mm. and the FDP with the Liberals, <coughs> that doesn't really change the, the German government's policy. There's no, there's no difference. They are all pro-European, the is maybe more pro-business, and the Greens are more pro-human rights or whatever. It's not important in that context, mm. but I think there's not much of a difference, and you are right, if you look at Merkel's uh, biography, she has, how well, many, 12 years? Mm going to European Mm. councils and being at councils that were really existential, like the ones on on Greece in 2010. Um, But of course, she needs to be careful that at the end of the day, being back home, she doesn't get blamed for uh, now Germany is paying the bill again. So, um, it's a very... um, It's it's, it's a lot of forces she has to manage in that very moment.
0: And if Mrs May had, rather than in Florence, just offered, as Pablo said, we'll see you right during the transition and we'll continue contributing, so don't worry about the hole in that budget period. But if Mrs May had put a figure on it, is there a figure she could have put on the table which Germany would have said, yeah, OK, yeah, that's fine, yeah, we'll move on? No.
1: Well, if, if it's fulfilling what the EU27 is asking for, yeah, then, yeah, but they didn't. So <laughs> it's far less. Yeah. So, okay. it's, it's not it's a far bilateral
2: less. discussion. No, it's
1: but the it's UK far less. I mean... F- yeah. And, and plus, I think there is, a, uh, for years now, an impatience in Berlin with the British government, starting with Cameron and now with mm. Theresa May, there's really impatience. So, no, we're yeah. not playing games anymore.
2: Okay, if I may just yeah. 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 Ah. <coughs> uh, I think now there is a very <laughs> close uh, alliance, uh, mm. beyond the usual yeah. uh, speech about uh, the Franco-German mm. engine, quote-unquote, I think there is indeed a strong alliance uh, between Madame Merkel and uh, Emmanuel Macron. And it's very interesting that in Macron's speech in the Sorbonne, uh, first of all, let me remind you that Macron is the first French politician ever to have been elected as a mm-hmm. pro-European with a, a, a rather precise yeah. pro-European platform. So it's, I think it's very important mm-hmm. in, in uh, the chemistry which is developing within the 27th. In his last long uh, European speech in the Sorbonne, he did extend mm-hmm. a hand to Great Britain. Uh, again, uh, we don't want Britain to be out. Uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, there was that referendum. We have a lot of bad experiences with the referendum. So We know what it entails. Mm. Uh, But again, uh, Macron did say, if Britain Mm. wants to come Mm. back, we're open. And so I think this idea that uh, uh, a no deal would be the wish, Mm. and to to answer (coughs) an interesting point uh, that this Mm. gentleman raised, uh, in in the French media, Mm. for instance, you you have, however contrasted Mm. their Mm. political views may be, uh, you, you have no uh, real diversity of opinions about Brexit, and there's very little coverage, by the way, of yeah. Brexit. Very little. Mm. It's not on the front page.
0: That's very. I'm just interested in the, in the Macron Sorbonne speech, which was very long, very detailed, very sort of visionary uh, compared to the of things we get from, Difficult from politicians to translate, here, I guess. Uh, there was a very helpful two-page English summary that they put out, so maybe they didn't want to translate oh, the entire thing into English, which was which was quite useful. Um, but he did talk about this sort of UK could rejoin a sort of you know, reformed outer rim of Europe, and I just wondered whether whether there was a sort of you know any sort of thinking in Paris that actually maybe the sort of relationship association agreement the uh, British words deep special imaginative flexible uh, whatever relationship we have actually would be the first member of that new sort of constellation of a you know, is it definitely an out out then back in or is it a we're moving to a different sort of relationship and actually other people may want to have that relationship with the EU too, that we might be a model of a new, new sort of relationship with the EU. Well I mean, if
2: uh, I- it were to be a model, uh, we should know more about again what yeah. the British strategy is and what this government's and this parliament's yeah. uh, views are. Uh, it's very difficult to imagine, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the phase after the next phase, after the next phase, uh, without having any concrete ideas of what's uh, coming out Excellent. Next.
0: More questions, yes. So go there, <coughs> and then <coughs> come forward there. Um, re- yeah.
4: Rosalind Hughes, if the negotiations were to continue to go badly and there was a British political crisis and the House of Commons were to decide that it didn't like yeah. the deal and yeah. voted, t- voted it down and voted to rescind Article 50, what would be the attitude of your governments and the commission to that? And how near the 11th hour could it happen?
0: Okay, let's uh, think about that and then we'll go there, Yes.
4: Uh, Anne Perkins from The Guardian. I, uh, I'm just really perplexed by this bill. And, um, the bill as in the
0: money as opposed to as the legislation.
4: As in the money, not the
0: legislation.
4: Yeah. And, and, uh, 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 last week we were told that it hadn't be even been agreed how the sums were to be calculated. And I can't believe... Um, we, we've seen no workings from the Commission about exactly how they're calculating this or where the areas for negotiation are. So I think it's a little bit tough to blame the UK for failing to step up to the mark on this one.
0: Okay, and let's go down here. Yes. Thank you very much.
5: It's Masato Kimura, Japanese journalist. Uh, I don't see. Uh, it's not only uh, distance but also culture and legal system and uh, so if no deal uh, what about uh, uh, as alternative tpp a trans pacific partnership uh, because uh, there are some countries in commonwealth and also uh, including Japan. Uh, Japan's ambassador here mm. is was uh, a tough negotiator, TPP. And so it's a good chance for UK uh, forward-looking thinking
0: I'm not sure that our panel can answer whether the UK should join the join the TPP as opposed to just sort of try and mirror the EU-Japan agreement and uh, do it, which I think is what the Prime Minister assured your Prime Minister that uh, that we would try to do when she was but out I in Tokyo. President Trump had cancelled TPP. No, he's the, the other people are in TPP. It's not just a, uh, uh, oh, yes. It can survive Foreign. without the Americans. It can survive without the Americans. Uh, so uh, <laughs> so let's, uh, let's so let's go to. Uh, I'm giving you a bit more time to think about Rosaline's point about rescission, which is obviously very live following some of the things that Keir Starmer and Ken Clark were saying at the weekend. So what more precision do we need on, do we need on the bill? And why, you know, uh, why is nobody actually sort of... You know, there isn't a figure from the Commission. <coughs> I mean, we, we have that long, long, long list, and we were told that after the French and Polish interventions, the long list described by, uh, by a former UK senior official as a kitchen sink from the Commission, I think... Uh, that, you know everything that moved went into it uh you know actually could the commission put a figure onto onto that um why can't we just sort of agree a methodology or something like that well, The
1: Commission says they,
0: they don't want to put uh, um, any figure
1: on this for the time being because they will only know the figure once everything is agreed but from i think there are two points here this is yeah. the overall figure at the end <coughs> because that depends on your future relationship and the status and what kind of payments the UK might still do but if we, if you we talk about we are now talking only okay. about the first part and this is at least from a german perspective is that y- the UK should pay commitments they have made in the past and the UK for now is saying okay we're going to we are going to pay into the mff so the budget until so uh, 19 and 20 but germans are saying hold on you're also committed to pensions and lots of pensions of brussels uh, Um, civil servants, (coughs) also British civil servants, (coughs) why should the Germans now pay the British civil servants, you have committed to that, and then also things that go beyond the MFF, which is, I think, mainly um, um, commitments to the Ukraine and I think to one other country for for long-time projects, so you can't say, well, we committed to that, but actually now we're not interested anymore by, so this is why there, this is two different things here.
0: I think the <coughs> Ukraine is contingent liabilities. I think it's only yeah. if loans to the Ukraine go yeah. bad yeah. that there's money that you crystallise. That's so a bit of provisioning, provisioning Ukraine. Anyone, I, I, what do you think on the? Well, I think bill? the commission has been
4: fairly detailed about the items and the methodology that would lead to a calculation. And indeed, mm. we were told, I think at the last but one round, that the British side had spent the entire time going yeah. through the Commission's position point by point Mm. and challenging it so I think the Commission has been very clear with the British side how it uh, intends Mm. to calculate the figure but I think the failure to give a figure was intended to facilitate agreement um, rather than (coughs) the opposite in that uh, it's better to agree a methodology and then apply the methodology Mm. than to start haggling simply about numbers and In any case, it's impossible to determine the final figure until you get to uh, the date of Brexit Mm. and you know what liabilities continue to exist at that point. Um, Commission always commits more funds, nearly always commits more funds to a project than are actually spent on that project. So you have entries on the so-called commitment line, the credit Mm. card line, which then prove to be Know, to have a margin of error, and that will bring down the actual payments. So I think the idea was methodology is less controversial, less sensitive, and easier to agree upon than numbers. But perhaps that was a, a wrong assumption.
0: So let's go on to this rescission point. So you know, government can't get its legislations through. Parliament uh, gets a vote, on, a vote on something and sends the government back and says, rescind Article 50. So the UK government in a year's time or so, comes and says, this was all a horrible mistake. <laughs> uh, we take it back, you know, that letter, we never really wrote it, uh, and whatever. So this question was asked here a year ago to, I think, a former head of commission Legal Service. He said, actually, ultimately, because uh, yeah, there's a big debate about whether it's a legal question or a political question. He said, ultimately, it's a political question. Uh, it would go down to the politics in the council, and whether the council was prepared to agree to a UK coming back. If we did that, um, Pablo, what would Spain think if the UK uh, offered
3: well to come back? I don't know. I mean, f- first, first of all, I think the the, the speed of, 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 of developments makes it very difficult to to to, to know what, what would happen in one year time. No, if you look the the six mm-hmm. past months, no? I, I begin to think that, that that I mean, it's it's possible for that to happen. No? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I d- especially for the for the. I mean, um, for, for the British side, no. Uh, they, um, imagine there's no that that, that the deal uh, agreed isn't, isn't satisfactory. Um, there's uh, the, the pass, there's an election, so many things can happen. But, uh, but I don't know. A proper getting back to the, to the EU would be very difficult. No? I mean, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to continue with this project with with a with a partner that has gone. No, I don't know. I, I, I think everything should be uh, should be on the table <laughs> and, and everything is possible yeah. but but it's very difficult to have a proper...
0: Uh UK groveling back? Definitely, oh. I, I, I don't know.
1: I, I wonder whether the UK would ever do that. I mean, is, isn't that humiliating for a nation to say, well, actually we've done this now for two years and now we, we okay. turn it back and say, well, it was not a good idea so I can't really imagine. And then, of course, it's then a question of political yeah. will. and. Everybody would agree, yeah, let them stay because it's all much easier. But yeah. as Pablo said, it's been a very difficult two years, it's been a lot of scars there. Um, is that going to work?
0: So I think the suggestion when we were discussing this last year was that the EU would maybe make us lose one or two, some of our opt-outs. Uh, maybe ask us to sort of pay off the cost of the negotiations <laughs> and the time and effort. Same as Giovanni, his salaries and <coughs> stuff like that, his team, and that, you know. But actually. Know, because this would be a sense of reinforcing the European project rather than Brexit undermining it, it actually wouldn't necessarily come be that unwelcome to well, the 27. Well, I think first of all
2: we would, we would uh, applaud the, 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 <laughs> the strength yeah. of uh, British democracy, uh, the, the the strength of your parliamentary yeah. system, uh, the referendum again yeah. being another process, but. Uh, Indeed, it's uh, it's again a British yeah. issue. Um, I think overall uh, we'd all rejoice at the idea that uh, Great Britain gets back in. Hmm. I mean, nobody wanted Great Britain out. So yeah. if indeed your parliamentary process is such that such a, a, another uh, cat cataclysm happens, uh, we'd have to stay put and, and see what the, the political uh, process becomes, going against a, a referendum which is supposed mm. to actually reflect uh, what the people want. Uh, but I think, again, yeah. primarily, it's, it would be a British
0: problem again, I'm afraid.
3: Okay.
0: Okay, let's. So we've got some more questions down at the front. So let's uh, let's go, lady here.
4: Uh, hello, Carol Walker.
0: Um, everyone keeps talking about a
4: deal and how both sides hmm. want a deal. But I was also just interested in what Stephanie was saying, which was about the EU's tradition of finding some sort of fudge compromise. <laughs> Given the uh, snail's pace of the negotiations so far, I wonder whether. Um, we're we're heading towards a scenario whereby we're fast approaching March 2019. There's no prospect of getting everything agreed. And so you then end up with a series of little bitty arrangements so that you sort out so the planes can fly and so that there's something Mm -hmm. to oversee nuclear energy. But essentially you then use a transition period to try to
0: sort out all those complex customs arrangements mm-hmm. and whether that is a scenario that we yeah. could end up with okay so no deal but some deals yes uh, let's go to john and then so we'll go behind yeah yeah here. and then yeah, behind yeah, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whichever
5: yeah, I, well i wanted to go out to one of the previous yeah. answers um <laughs> i wonder how far capitals are influenced by the feeling that Theresa may is very weak after the election that her cabinet is very split and there's therefore therefore no point negotiating with her because she might not be there in in a year's time.
0: Okay, and behind, yeah? Thanks,
5: my name's John Cartledge. I would say there was an earlier question about green and environmental issues which you didn't put to the panel, so perhaps in fairness to that question, uh, you need to come back to that. But the question I'd like to ask is a slightly more fundamental one. Presumably, if you're negotiating Brexit, the attitude you take depends on whether or not you think on balance it's a desirable or undesirable outcome. And Christine suggested that, as far as the EU27 is concerned, it's something that nobody wanted. Can you help me to understand why that is? Because my perception, from this side of the Channel, is that British were always the odd ones out. They were never the team players. They never joined Schengen. They never joined the euro. They th- banged <coughs> their handbag and boycotted the meetings until they got half their subscription paid back. Uh, they insist that everybody else speaks their language because they don't speak anybody else's. They're always. Um, the member that doesn't fit, and I would have thought that from your point of view you'd be heartily glad to be rid of us. <laughs> what I is it that's keeping that makes you want to keep? Is it just the money we pay in as a net contributor, or is there actually something else that's that makes you like
0: us? That's a very interesting. Let's go to the. S- <laughs> let's start to the, in sort of escalating order. Actually, I did think we answered the environmental question because that's all part of the single market. acquis, key is all those environmental rules and stuff like that. So I thought we did answer it that Barnier would. Insist on it, and that was part of what the Europe uh, Europe wanted. So sorry if that was (coughs) a bit unclear. Tamsin looked happy, at any rate. Um, This point about you know at the end, you know, uh, I think we've done some work that says no major country trades with the EU on WTO terms alone, even if they don't have a free trade agreement. Lots don't have free trade agreements. They have customs facilitation, data sharing, aviation, da 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 da. So wouldn't we have some sort of sticking plaster deals at least to mitigate the sort of you know biggest most disruptive elements is there would there be any appetite for that in the 27 if its clock is ticking and we needed to needed to just say in both interests we don't want complete dislocation yeah. Yeah, i mean the consensus of course that you you in in <coughs> at the end
1: of next year you must have a deal that is a very broad deal you can't go into the details it's it's impossible and therefore i think the next three months until the December Council, they are crunch time. So something really has now to move forward. Mm-hmm. Because then the time j- just gets too short. You have only a couple of months left. And then you need to go into the ratification in the, in the parliaments, in the national parliaments, if they um, ratify. And I think the biggest hurdle in the end will <coughs> be the European Parliament and the British Parliament. So it, it is, it's just zero. It's, it gets more and more uh, difficult. But then at the end, if you <coughs> should hope by March 20, on the 29th of March 2019, you have an, a very broad deal on which you can then go ahead.
0: Okay, any other views on these sort of notes? I think
4: no deal in some respects will have symmetrical effects, so the 27 will have to um, increase their customs capacity, yeah. they'll have to build uh, around their ports just in the same way that the UK will have to build around <coughs> its ports But in many respects, it's asymmetric. The 27 will not have to create new agencies. The 27 will not have to negotiate, renegotiate free trade agreements. So no deal creates far more things for the UK to have to deal with and address than it will for the the, the EU 27. Um, It was interesting, I think, that at the weekend, it's beginning to emerge that no deal doesn't actually mean no deal. (laughs) No deal means... Um, no big deal, but a series of little arrangements uh, to make sure that the planes carry on flying and the port of Dover doesn't Mm. close for two weeks to try and work out what it's got to do next. Mm. Uh, Whether that's feasible or not, I think is is a big question. Um, And if you are tying up all these little arrangements, what are you doing them for? Are you doing them to enable Article 50 actually to be extended Mm -hmm. Uh, and Article 50 only allows the time limit to be extended by unanimity. Mm -hmm. It would only take one member state to say this is an abusive procedure. You haven't extended Article 50 unanimously but you have de facto sought to continue the discussion after the deadline or the European Parliament to challenge that as was pointed out and the whole edifice then comes tumbling down again.
0: So, what about this view that uh, there's no point wasting our time on the current government? They're hopelessly divided. Theresa May's potentially a transient prime minister. I don't know whether you went to the, you know, she didn't have a, the greatest ever party conference. Uh, you know, she's living on borrowed time, so actually. Yeah, you know, is it worth devoting that much time and effort when we've got loads of more pressing things? You know, we're negotiating a coalition, we're setting out grand vision, trying to reform France finally, and we're trying to deal with you know secession in the richest, uh, richest part of our country. So there are quite big other preoccupations that might lead you to a sort of rather downgrade focusing on uh, on dealing with the UK. I mean, is that how it seems, or?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, well, I, I think that's uh, that's, uh, that's uh Issue, no. I mean, I mean, and, and people in, in the capitals perceive it like that. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, the, uh, Theresa May is lacking now uh, the authority mm-hmm. to go further, no, and and, and and in her own country. I mean, and, and I mean in her own in her own party, in her own country, everything, no. So, so I, I think people uh, in, the, in, in the other parts are aware of that, and, and and that's certainly something something important. But as you said, uh, all the countries have have this kind of problems mm-hmm. in. in in some way.
0: What about France? In France, do you think there's a perception that... Uh, that no, I th- there's
2: certainly a perception that this is a very weak uh, prime minister, and let's hope that the forthcoming European Council doesn't turn into a humiliating exercise for her, uh, as indeed we remember previous mm. Uh, mm.
0: councils
2: uh, is
0: th- is there any the sense, Is there any sense that she's the best you're going to get and actually <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you if you if you sort of look at the potential World. alternative we, prime ministers actually europe europe yeah. you know if you want the best outcome for both the uk and europe that actually not undermine not going out of your way to humiliate mrs may to let her appear to emerge with a sliver of triumph or whatever yeah. would actually this but again, we, h- we,
2: we, ha- we haven't discovered yet uh, all, all the uh, extraordinary uh, diversity of, of your uh, political personnel, <laughs> uh, but uh, I think there's enough of a perception of, of the, the very uh, particular uh, political uh, circumstances that uh, you, are, you are going through uh, and the fact that uh, labor doesn't make uh, any clear uh, uh, position known either about uh, Brexit doesn't, doesn't simplify things. But uh, we, we're not in, I- in a game mm-hmm. of, uh, w- we are of course in a political mm-hmm. theater, but, but that's not really the crux <laughs> of the matter. And I think that the, the council, uh, has many other uh, major issues Mm. on the agenda. As always, they're cramming it up. And so if they also have to talk about refugees, Mm. uh, if they also uh, have to talk about defense, and God knows what else is uh, actually on the table, uh, I think the the Brexit issue may be dismissed quite quickly, saying, you know, okay, Prime Minister, so what is it exactly that you want? And again, I'm always struck coming to London Mm. or or being asked by some wonderful BBC researchers uh, or journalists uh, to comment about Brexit issues. It's it's like, of course there's the channel, but Mm. it's like we live on different planets, (coughs) uh, which is very much what Jean-Claude Juncker said at at the very start, and and it's only uh, uh, getting more so Mm. I feel that indeed on the continent we have many other preoccupations, but there's Mm. also an incremental uh, process within the EU uh, which Brexit has helped forge, Mm. which I think is totally underestimated Mm. here on the Mm. other side of the channel. Uh, I think there are more scenarios uh, to revamp the EU. Nobody is is totally happy with Mm. the EU, let's face it. But there, there, there are more scenarios, of course, we're disappointed that Madame Merkel didn't get better results, but mm. still, uh, th- th- there are some, uh, th- there's an energy mm. there, uh, and I wouldn't say a kind of optimism, mm-hmm. but, but certainly a will mm. that indeed the EU goes forward, uh, even without the UK. And that, to me, is
0: totally underestimated here. So that then goes, I think, to the other question of actually, you know, there's a reformist deal, there are people, there's the Eurozone, you know, of ambitions for that. The UK has never been part of that. Uh, there's a zeal to reform Europe, you know, whether it's more Europe, some of the stuff that Monsieur Juncker put out in his speech, mm-hmm. uh, State of the European Union speech. The UK will be sitting there grousing, complaining, or whatever trying to drag things back at least uh, some winces in the audience but at least that would be the perception that the uk was always trying to say no you know remember states duh, 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 we don't want this we don't want that and trying to get in the way of some of those sort of ambitious mm. ideas you know aren't you as uh, as the gentleman suggested you know better off without us i mean you know, should you not be saying actually if we can get this into a sensible long-term you know trade partnership that's the sort of relationship we ought to have, a functional relationship with the UK, and then we can have our political vision for the continent. Is that not a better f- better future it for Europe?
1: A short answer and, uh, and uh, a long answer. The short answer is also in terms of Theresa May. Yeah. Of course, in Berlin, they say, how, how sustainable is what she's committing to now? Is she still going to be there in two yeah. months or three months? That's another hurdle, and makes it even more difficult to to have successful talks. But well, what you were asking, I mean, the, the short answer, of course, is, um, no, the Britain was always an asset, it was always an asset. And I remember being in Berlin just after the Brexit vote and there was this si- kind of yeah, deep shock that they are gone now and now Germany is confronted with, sorry, these French and <laughs> <laughs> But that was before <laughs> Macron. <coughs> before Macron, I'm saying just in the summer 2016. <laughs> and the club met and the Greeks and, and who's left apart from the Scandinavians, so there was this very (laughs) strong sense of we we lost uh, a a crucial partner here, while they were always stroppy and difficult, but they had a very much broader horizon, a special partnership a relationship with the US, of course the military power, it was was, uh, an asset for the European Union, seen from this point, not for European integration, but for European security, for European foreign policy. But then again, at the same time, and this has started I think with the Tory party and David Cameron taking the um, Tory MEPs out of the European group in the European Parliament, there is a constant development of turning inwards and turning away from Europe. And I think we are now at a point that there is a real split with Brexit, with everything else that happened in this country here. You you feel like they are just so navel-gazing why why should we put so much effort into this? Let's rather move ahead and put our little energy we have into the joint projects on the continent. I mean, sorry to say that, but... So,
0: better off without us? Well, I mean,
1: the UK has always
2: been a a, a difficult partner and Charles de Gaulle didn't want Mm. you at all, but that's (laughs) a long time ago. Um, But... uh, when you look at the world today Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the uk is a member of nato it's uh, the only european country with france to have nuclear power Uh, there are major issues uh, worldwide and uh, if we europeans do not together Mm -hmm. uh, see how our own values are being threatened mm-hmm. and our values are still mm-hmm. common values between Mr. Putin, Mr. Trump, Mr. Erdogan, name it. Mm-hmm. Uh, however difficult the Brits may be, we'd rather have you with us.
3: Pablo? I agree, you? I mean, yeah. it's a, I think mm-hmm. it's an asset and, and not only um, militarily, and, and uh, but also politically, culturally, I mean, in many ways, no, I think, and I think that, the, I mean Political terms in the, in the in the trends today in the world. It's yeah. interesting to have a, a, a wider and, and more <coughs> even a more diverse Europe and, and more and a stronger Europe. No? And, and yeah, I mean, uh, certainly it's a it's, um, it's it's an asset to have to have the UK. And um, y- yeah, although it's been d- very difficult, and I agree with, with Stephanie that that the last years, especially since Cameron, have been very very um, <laughs> demoralising for the for the. Mm. Europeans. Mr.
0: Commission please cede back
4: to us. Well, I think um, Margareta Vestager said you fly a kite against the wind mm. and therefore constructive challenge within has has actually mm. been productive in many instances. And One shouldn't forget, you know, if you look back over the entire 40 years, the UK has been quite instrumental in many of the major constructions. The mm. single market um, was driven very much by uh, a UK commissioner. Um, Having said that, I also agree that more recently, Mm. the kind of esteem with which my colleagues held the UK, even whilst they recognised Mm. them as the difficult Mm. customers, they nevertheless understood that the positions were well-prepared, they were well-argued. There was the inestimable advantage of discussions being conducted Mm. in their own language. uh, And therefore, they were very influential Mm. in um, Mm. developing policy and drafting uh, and negotiating legislation. That has, I think, dissipated more recently. But I'm sure that any of my colleagues, uh, the overwhelming majority of my colleagues would have preferred the UK to remain a member. Okay,
0: let's do a couple more questions. I have one of my own if nobody asks it. So we'll just go to the there and then Lewis just down the line.
4: Um, Nathaniel Copsey from the Foreign Office I have just a very quick observation and then a question about finance so the observation is that um, it's been very interesting to hear what you've been saying about money if you look at the historical record I think you'd be hard pressed to find a single example of a case where the United Kingdom has not met its financial obligations in full we'd be very interested to hear about it and the question is this in Florence um, the Prime Minister gave a very careful speech with beautiful um, careful treasury drafting in it
5: um, and she said a couple of things. She said some important things about money, and she said something very important about transition. I think the point on transition is very clear. On money, I'd just be very interested to know,
4: what do you think the Prime Minister committed to in Florence, as you understand
0: <laughs> <laughs> Okay. If you don't very
2: know, good. how can we? He's in the Foreign
0: Office. Foreign Office is never gonna know what they committed to on money. <laughs> uh, yes, there. Hello,
5: to, uh, Toby Price, independent <laughs> consultant. Um, We all have a perspective in this country about what a soft Brexit looks like. I'm quite interested to know, you've all said a soft Brexit might be a good thing, but what does a soft Brexit look like to you from a European perspective?
0: Okay, and I'm going to throw in a... Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, lady in the front, sorry. Apologies. Um, With the microphone.
6: (laughs) Thank you, Patricia Rawlings, House of Lords. (coughs) Um, I just wanted to pick up on some very interesting... Points that have been um, mentioned, <coughs> and then ask one question. Um, Britain has always been quite difficult, and we and we've o- very very often been divided. Both parties, both the Labour Party and the Conservative Party, less so, obviously, the Liberal. And your your very good point that you made about. F- friends I- in, in Europe and working with the Germans, which we've always worked with very closely, and other countries. And, um, so that mustn't be forgotten, but th- we are divided. Coming through from um, the, the panel and from the audience a bit, is it seems to be a lose-lose situation what we're looking at. But we haven't got a written constitution, mm. but we do have parliamentary sovereignty and what happens when we come to the end, uh, when we come to 2019 and the date, and the situation in England isn't quite as good as it was three years ago, and the, um, there's a certain amount of unemployment, and people are saying, well, actually, this isn't what we voted for in the referendum. Um, parliamentary sovereignty it goes as a debate in parliament and the MPs have to represent their constituencies but what Mm. happens then when they say well probably we should go back to the people what do they think on this because this has been very much discounted everybody thinks it's going to be soft Brexit hard Brexit little deals big deals but what happens with parliamentary sovereignty when the MPs debate and vote.
0: Okay, thank you. And My final question is going to be one of the things that hasn't come up at all is freedom of movement. I mean, as we understand it, one of the sort of indivisible, full freedoms of the single market. But in a sense, uh, you know, Brexit, you could say, is in part a consequence of the UK being slightly naively uber-communitaire in the 2000s and not applying transitional controls on the A8 when the other countries did all apply transitional controls. Uh, And that's why we got a disproportionate influx from the A8. Then the Eurozone economies were performing much worse than the UK economy. So a lot of Spanish people, I went to Spain, nobody would come to the UK if they possibly could avoid it because it's cold and rainy and stuff. But the Spanish economy was weak enough that Spaniards even came here, Portuguese came here, things like that. And there seemed to be virtually no sympathy in the European capitals when David Cameron went and said, I need some respite on this, because otherwise this could could be really, really difficult for us. And so he came away with something that, during the referendum, proved proved unsellable, and we're told that if we're going to go anything near E, it has to be freedom of movement or whatever. And that is politically extremely difficult. We've seen, you know, Madame Le Pen did very well in the French elections. Well, she didn't win. She didn't win, but she did rather better than UKIP did. AFD did very well in Germany, which has upset the coalition situation. You know, Spain obviously has a slightly different position on this. But I just wondered, you know, is actually freedom of movement not something that Europe itself needs to be thinking about, how it, how it works going forward. And should there not be a bit more introspection and sympathy for a bit of the position that the British have found themselves in? Having miscalculated big time, I accept some miscalculation, but having sort of, uh, mm. you know, reaped the harvest before the rest of you and in a more dramatic way than the rest of you of that very, very serious miscalculation. So, let's go to the other questions. If the British people sort of want a referendum, uh, what uh, what happens? Uh, what happens then? The other questions. So, if, you know, if you'd like to just sort of go down the line and pick up the other questions as we uh, as we go down, we start um, go down in this order. There were so many. So just coming back yeah. on the
1: on the question of freedom of
0: movement, and I, I, I hear this time and again that
1: if only Germany and if only Merkel had given Cameron more on the on that reform thing, and that's simply <coughs> that's simply not not the question because freedom of movement whatever you do the, um, um, polls in Germany it's not an issue for people uh, it's not freedom of movement it's obviously Schengen mm. is a big yes. question it's, it's, it's a reason why the AFD yes. did so well as they did and the question of refugees and why they, uh, there were so many in mm-hmm. so little time mm. and it couldn't be managed but um, I think in, in Germany the sense is that you can do enough on the secondary level which is by courts which is for example Limiting the access of EU foreigners to the social systems, you can do that by. There have been quite some stark uh, decisions in the last mm. years by by German courts, and also now what Macron is uh, bringing up mm. is the question of um, the, the the workers. Um, I don't know the how posted
0: workers it. directive. Yes,
1: exactly. So there is a lot of movement mm. going on, and there's a lot of um, eagerness for reform because there is there is anger. But the the whole principle as such is nothing that. I can see, at least in Germany, that people are unhappy with.
0: You'll just go to the point we had about, you know, wha- how did you read the Florence speech on money? What did you think it said about money in Germany? What was the German, Florence, yeah, was a German uh, report I, I, on that? I
1: think, yeah, as, as I said before, it was seen like, okay, we pay until 2020 and then that's it and nothing beyond. And this is not, <laughs> so not enough. This is so how it was billion. understood in Germany. N- because she said, didn't she, no one will have to pay more into the budget. Yeah. But that's only the budget and... 2020 that's over what is with the commitments beyond
0: 2020 okay so could any of these points you'd like to do it particularly yes, so British British, British people have a sort of existential crisis and decide that was wrong we have another referendum and decide to go back but after we've left I think on your your timetable so well again
2: I think we yeah. tackled that issue yeah. before I, I think it, it would be another cataclysm but again it would be uh, uh, British parliamentary democracy at work, and it would be a British issue, and I I guess the whole process would have to be upheld, but what is it that we could do? Uh, But watch and and hope for, for the better outcome. But I'd like to... Also, yeah. if I may uh, get to your uh, question about freedom of movement, which is, after all, one of the basic principles of the EU. What always strikes me is... Wh- I- I- after all, it's the UK uh, and uh, Madame Thatcher uh, who insisted on enlargement uh, to prevent uh, the deepening. You remember Yeah, that no, I remember deep, widening, not deepening, not deepening. I remember that very well. Okay. And so, when I talk in this country about migrants, it's actually Eastern Europeans mm-hmm. uh, having flooded uh, to this country for all the reasons we yeah. know. Uh, when we talk about migrants, mm-hmm. uh, it's actually you know, refugees you know. or, or economic yeah. migrants, uh, and that, of course, is, it's the whole Schengen mm-hmm. issue. And I would also remind you for those tempted with that marvelous Norwegian scenario that Norway is part of Schengen. Mm. So uh, again, it's another of those confusions it seems to me that uh, freedom of movement uh, that has been uh, questioned with with really extraordinary lies uh, during this uh, referendum campaign in this country mixed this idea on your buses that, you know, Syrian refugees would invade, when Mm. actually the issue was about internal Mm. European migrations. Mm. So it's a very different perception. Uh, And again, at the the forthcoming Mm. uh, European Council, when Mm. they will talk about uh, migration (laughs) and refugees, it won't be about Poles and uh, uh, even Romanians, uh, wanting to get uh,
0: jobs uh, and using the freedom of movement. So did the French government have the same view <coughs> of the bill as the German government, that it was 20 billion and no more, that, that didn't ignore the... Yes, absolutely. I yep.
2: fully subscribe to okay. uh, what I you think said.
0: This is a bit of a failure of diplomacy here, I think, by mm-hmm. the Foreign <laughs> Office, if that's <laughs> not what you wanted here, <laughs> whatever, uh, message maybe to take back. Pablo, You know, on these questions about sort of freedom of movement on the bill, yeah, and uh, on what would happen if the British British people went? So
3: on, on, on I'm
0: going to ask the last question.
3: <laughs> on, on freedom of movement, I, I, I agree that that, that there, I mean I, I think it's it's it is an issue, but it, it can be handled respecting that 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 principle. I mean, yeah. um, uh, there has been a lot of uh, I mean lot, everybody who has lived here known that that there has been a lot of propaganda and misuse of the of the um, of the dangers of of European migration, which which I think. Are, are, are simply not true, and and, and uh, there's, uh, I mean, European, and and, and that's, and, uh, I mean, it's perci- uh, the perception in, in some European countries. It's, I mean, for Spaniards to, to to read that 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 they come here to claim benefits, and I mean, uh, come on, it's it's really. I, I think that's one of the issues that that's that's less, uh, that's more difficult to to comprehend for for the Spanish people and from uh, for other other EU nationals, no. And that's simply unfair, and, 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 and I think that, that that it's product of, of um, misinformation during years and, and of a propaganda. No? <laughs> um, about the the bill, yeah, I mean, uh, I I'm afraid I, I understood the same thing. There yeah. was something about honouring commitments, which is not uh, clear at all, I think. And and then there was uh, uh, responding to the budget um, um, commitments for for the transition period, which is obvious if you if you have to if you want to to still have access to the, to the, um, to, to, to the, to the customs
0: We were told that the language was tried out in Brussels beforehand, so surely Brussels probably did understand that, didn't they? Um,
4: I think they needed more than what was in the speech is the answer. I think there is here um, a kind of um, dissonance between two political cultures the kind of Anglo-Saxon diplomatic culture that (laughs) uses subliminal messages and says, basically, we'll see you right. Trust us. um, And the continental, and very much the EU culture, which says, we want this spelt out in detail on a piece of paper. Um, And I think that's where the clash arose. On free movement, I I would say three things. First of all, one should never underestimate the symbolic importance of free movement to countries which did not enjoy rights Mm -hmm. to move freely for a long time. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I think uh, people in the Commission, people in the other member states, looked at the expert evidence Mm -hmm. as to the benefits that free movement had brought to the UK, particularly in terms of improving uh, the UK's GDP. And thirdly, there was a feeling that the UK did not use the tools available to it Mm -hmm. to manage that free movement, in terms, for example, channeling extra funds to areas which had experienced rapid migration, uh, using a more contributory approach to the social security system, and so on.
0: Okay, okay, people are going, and we're slightly running over. I just wanted to pick up for a final point, this what does soft Brexit mean <laughs> to you? <laughs> I had a debate on Twitter with somebody about whether Brexit in German was dare Brexit or de-Brexit or das yeah. Brexit. I thought it would be das yeah. Brexit, but anyway, <laughs> when I learned German, it was apparently dare Brexit. So let's talk about de In So let's have the nice, soft, fluffy Brexit. What does, what's the best sort of Brexit from a German point of view look like? What's the soft Brexit mean to uh, New the Merkel? The,
1: the soft Brexit is something like the
0: Norway model.
1: Yeah. So not being a member anymore, mm. but still being a member of the single market and the customs union to avoid everything, all the yeah. administrative chaos that will be uh, related to finding new models for the UK, just, just staying in, paying for it, but obviously the problem is the European mm. Court of Justice and, and freedom of movement, so it's unsolvable, I'm afraid, but that would be, from a German okay. perspective, the okay. best outcome. Okay. France?
2: Uh, the best outcome would be uh, of course this, the single market and, and even the prospect of expanding it to services which would be by the way very good uh, for, for the British economy but of course freedom of movement and of course the protection for EU citizens <coughs> uh, on either side Uh, of of the channel, of the European Court of Justice. So we get uh, again into uh, the same impasse, I'm afraid.
0: Pablo Labrex, teacher?
3: Uh, I would say, well, I mean, uh, the the, uh, the soft Brexit would be something the (laughs) most similar possible to to the current situation, to the statu quo, but obviously um, um, there's a mandate from the referendum and, and I think the basic mandate is some kind of limitation of freedom of movement. And uh, no loss of, of sovereignty, so that's quite difficult to to um, to adequate. But 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 I'm I'm sure it can. I mean, that there's it's possible.
0: And
4: Geoffrey, it so the only model available currently, which covers services, which are so important to the British economy, is the Norway model. Um, but that also, as has already been said, incorporates free movement of persons. I think the the EA model does to some extent address the ECJ problem because Mm. the ECJ does not have direct authority in the Mm. Norway model. Mm. But it still leaves you with with free movement. But that may be a problem which solves itself to some extent (laughs) in the next 18 months. If trends reverse, that may (coughs) not be seen
0: as such a critical issue. Yeah, no, I I think that's potentially quite a lot in that. Anyway, we're going to end there. So could I ask you... Uh, Could I thank you, first of all, for your very active participation and so many excellent questions from the audience, but could I ask you to thank our excellent panel and thank them very much for taking their time for sharing those perspectives from their chapters with us. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs)